Join Pastor Michael and some of today's top apologists for the Dare to Defend conference. On March 10th and 11th, these speakers will provide real answers to skeptics' toughest questions and equip you with the tools necessary to confront the moral confusion of today's postmodern culture. This year's theme is Keeping the Faith in a Culture of Chaos. Come to Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California on March 10th and 11th to hear speakers Detective J. Warner Wallace. The idea that all we have in the universe is random accidents and the laws of physics or chemistry, then we're not going to get to, we're going to see the evidence differently because our presupposition really colors the way we see every piece of evidence in the room. Dr. Hugh Ross. When God created time, he was a causal agent that brought into effect time, which means at a minimum, he's got the equivalent to move and operate in two independent dimensions of time. Back at Cook. And they would say, are you moving? Did you did you meet someone? And, do you have, and I'm like, well, actually, I did meet someone in Jesus. I mean, they were really stunned. And especially when I got to the part about you know, the homosexuality being a sin, some of my friends really got hostile. Dr. Craig Hasten. Sure, this Jesus thing sounds good, but you know, I know nothing about Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or Mormonism. And how do I know for sure that I've really got the goods? Lenny Esposito. This one conversation shows how much we've confused the motivations for why we believe something with good reasons for believing it. There's only one good reason to believe anything, and that is if it's true. Monique Dusan. I think the idea that that's funny racism, like they let you into their home, and like I was, I came home with PTSD from South Africa and all that. And I think I, I started to really think about like, well, what if it wasn't racist? And Joe Dallas. If you want to punch somebody out and you punch somebody out, you're not struggling with punching somebody out. You are, in fact, punching somebody out. Register for the Dare to Defend conference on walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Or visit walkintruth.com. Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lentz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people, and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20 about commandment number three. We are looking at the third commandment, and that is we are not to take the name of the Lord in vain. So it's the second book of your Bible, Exodus chapter 20. Once you have it, if you're able to stand with us, would you stand for the reading of one verse? Don't get too excited. We're still going to preach the same amount of time. (laughs) Exodus 27. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Father, your name is holy. You've revealed yourself in holiness. Mount Sinai was filled with fire, lightning, thunder, smoke, as you came down to make a covenant with the people of Israel. And there the king condescended and spoke the commandments before they were ever written. And one of them was... I want you to honor my name. I want you not to take it in vain, but to give it all the honor and sacredness and weight that it deserves. 
And Father, when we just think about that thought, we can't help but think of our culture right now and, and maybe even, you know, the church culture and the, the flippant kind of light manner that we use your name, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us for the number of times in a given hour or day where your name is used in a way that does not honor you. And it amazes me how patient you are, Lord, because in a given day, we can't imagine how many times your name is taken in vain. And yet it shows that you are patient. You don't want anybody to perish. You want all to come to repentance. And we're so grateful for your patience in our lives, because for many of us, Lord, our our mouth was one of the last things that kind of came into line with who we are. And we all would have to admit that we still struggle in these areas. And so we want to not only have our lives, but our speech sanctified. And, you know, the book of James says no one can tame the tongue, but you can tame it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we just pray that you would be honored today with the way that we deal with this third commandment. We'd remember that we're in a new covenant and we have the grace of God in our lives. But yet we know that your your law doesn't change, Lord. You're the same and you want to be honored. And may you be honored in what we do and how we respond to this text today. In Jesus' name, And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a seat. The third commandment, don't take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. This will lead us to the Lord's table in communion. So I pray that you'll be preparing your heart for that. God has come down on Mount Sinai in power and majesty and glory and sounds and light and smoke. And the people are warned not to even touch the mountain lest they die. God is holy and God comes down in marriage covenant kind of imagery, but also in something I want to put before you today, and that is in the king and kingdom imagery. For on Sinai, the king comes down. And when we become Christians, this is something that I'm not sure gets enough attention in the evangelical world. But let me just tell you that yesterday, about 50 guys gathered here in this sanctuary for our men's breakfast And one of our deacons, Bill White, shared something on his heart. And he was talking about the difference between being a cultural Christian and being a disciple. And he was bringing out some of these ideas where Jesus said, I want you to follow me. And how people in the New Testament would make excuses. And I got a chance to come up and talk to the guys at the end. And I said, you know, something we need to think about is that when we say we're going to follow Jesus, when we use the word Jesus is Lord. A synonym for that word is Jesus is king. You are, when you ask Jesus to become your Lord, you are asking him to be the king of your life. And you are now serving a new king and a new kingdom. Prior to becoming a Christian, we serve the prince of this world. We march to the beat of that drummer. We had the world's system, the world's values. But now that you've become a Christian, Jesus wants you to know that you've made him your king if you're a Christian. And you are trying to build his kingdom. This is what it means to follow the Lord. It's not just a prayer to get fire insurance. It's not a sinner's prayer at a camp when you were, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 years old and that's it. No, it is a whole change of life. It is a whole new allegiance to the king and the kingdom. And I fear for the evangelical world where we're making, you know, it's so much about easy believism that we don't call people to deep discipleship. 
And Jesus didn't mess around with these kinds of things. You guys know, when he had conversations with people, he would challenge people to follow him and essentially give up everything to follow that which is going to last, that which is eternal. And as God comes down on Mount Sinai, he says, one of the things I want you to know is who I am. My name reflects who I am. Now, in our Western culture, we may not give the same weight to giving a name to someone as the Hebrew culture would give. They would typically name a Hebrew male on the eighth day on the day of circumcision. That's the day that Jesus received his name. And Jesus, or Yeshua in Hebrew, means Yahweh is salvation. So Jesus was named very specifically to his mission. And when you read and study the Bible, you can see how names had great significance. And we don't always know how people came up with the name, but there was prayer and they waited a little bit and kind of tried to sense the trajectory of someone's life. And then they would give a name in keeping with that trajectory. Now, Shane just mentioned that we have a, I have a new granddaughter. My wife and I have a new granddaughter. We have a new blessing in our family. And her name is Melody Noel. Uh, what's her last name again? <laughs> that's, a, that's kind of a joke. Anyway, her name is Melody Noel. And think about it. Melody, what does her dad do? Well, you know, so we're already, I'm singing off key to her. Shane sings on key to her. But, and it's, it's a beautiful name, right? So a lot of thought is given to names. And when we have a child on the way, maybe you were... Uh, you know, debating with your spouse. Maybe everybody was interjecting what the name should be. Maybe you had that book, you know, of all those names, however many names there are. What should we do? What should we name this child, right? But in the end, the name of God is connected directly to his identity. Now, on this same mountain, before Moses went off to be the deliverer by God's mighty hand, he had that encounter at the burning bush. And Moses asked the Lord a question. He said, Lord, when I go and I tell the people about this deliverance and they ask me, what is your name? What should I tell them? And that's where God famously said, I am that I am. And then he used the, the, what we call the tetragrammaton, the four letters that are literally Y-H-W-H. He used I am in verse 14 and then Yahweh in verse 15. And as much as you can study these two declarations by God, basically what scholars have concluded is that I am and Yahweh essentially point in the same direction. I am means I am the self-existing one. Not I was, not I will be, but I am. Everything comes from me. I'm the creator I'm the sustainer. I am non-contingent. I depend on no one else. I simply am who I am. And that's one of the things that Moses was told. And then the name Yahweh or Yahweh. We don't have the vowels because the Jews stopped writing the vowels because they were concerned that they might break this commandment. So in the Old Testament manuscripts, every time Yahweh is there, it's simply Y-H-W-H. And our best conclusion is that it's Yahweh or Yahweh. But the name means the self-existent one. It speaks of self-existence, completeness, authority, fullness. The word honor comes to mind because God's name is to be honored. And the word honor in Hebrew is kavod. And it means to give weight to the name. 
So think about it. Don't take the name in vain as to bring lightness to the name. Like there's nothing in it. It's empty. That's what vanity is. Idols are called empty. They have ears, but they can't hear. Eyes, but they can't see. A mouth, but they can't talk. Feet, but they can't walk. They can't do anything. They can't deliver you. They're empty. They are futile. They are vain. God says, I'm just the opposite of that. I am full. I give life. There is weight to my name. There is sacredness to my name. Do not devalue my name. Give it the proper weight and honor it deserves. He's the opposite of vanity. He is fullness, life, weight. Do you see what he's saying here? So there's going to be a positive way to take the name, to invoke the name. But the Jews stopped writing the name and even speaking the name for fear of breaking this commandment. And they started calling God simply the name. That is Hashem. And the name, interestingly enough, in the Hebrew word picture, as Moses would have written it, it's two words or two letters. It's the sheen and the mem. The sheen looked like teeth in the ancient picture language, and the mem looks like our M, and it speaks of motion or chaos. And here's what the name means. This is so cool. The name means that God swallows up chaos in our lives. Isn't that cool? That's what Hashem means. The Lord destroys our chaos. And when we call upon the name that is above every name, what happens? The chaos in our lives all of a sudden gets swallowed up by the peace of Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Lord of Lords. And his name is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. And so God comes down on Sinai. First, he tells Moses, okay, you want to know what my name is? Here's my name. And then he tells the people, now, I want you to honor my name. And this is one of the top 10 commandments. So it must be important. And of course, you know, Jesus, I I pointed out to you last Sunday, he was asked about the greatest law in the Torah or in the top 10. And Jesus turned all the shall nots, you shall not, you shall not, into two you shalls. And here's what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and some versions say, with all your strength. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in other books of the Bible. And would you please do us a favor and encourage a friend or a family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this radio station? The same if you're listening on podcast. You can always just click that share button. If Pastor Michael's teachings have been a blessing to you, then hopefully they will do the same for someone you care about. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Listen to our podcast mini-series, A Step Closer. In these series, Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics we face in our life from a Christian perspective. Our next series is called In His Image, A Case for Life in a Post-Roe v. Wade World with guest speaker Scott Klusendorf from the Life Training Institute. You know, sometimes we as pastors think, oh boy, I don't want to get distracted. I want to stay tethered to the Great Commission. And I agree, we should be about the Great Commission. But the question is, what does the Great Commission teach? 
The Great Commission teaches that we are to disciple believers. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, we're to teach them to obey all that Christ commands. What is one of those commands in scripture? We're not to shed innocent blood. Exodus 23, 7 teaches that. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 teaches that. Matthew 5, 21 references that. So when we speak about abortion, which is the shedding of innocent blood, we're not distracting people from the Great Commission. We're helping them align with it. You can listen to A Step Closer on walkintruth.com, or you can subscribe and follow Walk In Truth on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. That's Walk In Truth's A Step Closer on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. He's the Prince of Peace, he's the Lord of Lords, and his name is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen? And so God comes down on Sinai. First he tells Moses, okay, you want to know what my name is? Here's my name. And then he tells the people, now I want you to honor my name. And this is one of the top 10 commandments. So it must be important. And of course, you know, Jesus, I, I pointed out to you last Sunday, he was asked about the greatest law in the Torah or in the top 10 And Jesus turned all the shall nots, you shall not, you shall not, into two you shalls. And here's what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And some versions say, with all your strength. Jesus said, I want you to love me or love God with everything that you are. And so Jesus had many encounters with religious leaders And he said these words. He says, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. I want you to love me with all your heart. I'm reading from Matthew 12, 34, now into 35. He says, the good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that a man shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 34 through 37. And all God's people said, gulp? You mean every careless word that a man or woman speaks, you'll give an account for on the day of judgment? That's what Jesus just said. But I got some really good news for you. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the commandments and requirements were nailed to his cross. And I'm forgiven of every silly, stupid thing I've ever said, thought, you know, said in a moment of anger, said before I became a Christian. Aren't you glad that you're forgiven and that that was nailed to the cross? That's the beauty of the new covenant. Amen. Right there deserves a hallelujah and amen. Maybe even a clap to the Lord. Right. I have enjoyed the Indiana Jones uh, movies over the years. And the third movie is The Search for the Holy Grail. And it's all just kind of a legend thing. But at some point in that movie, as Indy is with his father, uh, he says, he, go, he takes the name of the Lord in vain. He says, something happens. It's a tense moment. And he says, Jesus. 
And his dad slaps his face. And he says, that's for blasphemy. And I want you to think about, that That may be a little shocking in our culture, but the idea to blaspheme the name of God is to treat the name as trivial. It's to, to put no importance to the name. And I want you just to pause for a second and think about our culture. Maybe think about some of your friends at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your group. Uh, I played a lot of years of competitive racquetball, and I was known as Kid Mike the Preacher Boy. I was named this by a former boxer who was a great guy, and he became a friend of mine. And uh, we would, you know, they would call me kind of the nice pastor outside the court. But when I, when I got into the court, sometimes I would be announced as, now in the ring, Kid Mike the Preacher Boy. <sighs> anyway, anyway, so I'd come in and... It was kind of a running joke. And so something would happen during the racquetball game. And often there was non-Christians in there. And they would take the name of the Lord in vain. Or they would curse. And they would always turn to me and look at me and apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. So I'd kind of play it up a little bit. Come over here. You may kiss my ring. I will bring you absolution. Let me get some holy water. Throw it on them. It burns. It burns. You know, all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, here's the point. They were trying to watch their P's and Q's with the pastor in the court. But the truth of the matter is that every day, so many times a day, the name of Jesus, the name of God is used as an exclamation point or his name is brought down to the level of a four-letter curse word to express disgust. That's what happens every day in a culture where the God who made everybody says, don't you take my name in vain. Imagine, just just pause and think of the heaviness of that and think about how the Lord says people are going to give an account for this. Now, if they come to Jesus Christ, of course, that is dealt with in full, praise God. But it is a heavy matter. It's not something to be taken in a trivial way. God's name is holy. A pastor said he was flying on a plane and he was coming back from a conference and there were two businessmen behind him and they were cursing up a storm and going back and forth and they were using hell and God's name in vain and everything you can imagine. And finally he said he got sick of it and he peeked over the seat and he said, hey, are you two guys in the ministry? And they said, what are you talking about in the ministry? He said, well, I'm in the ministry and I heard you guys use God, Jesus, damn and hell uh, all in the last couple of minutes, I can barely get that in in one message from the Bible. So I, f- I figured maybe you guys are in the ministry. <laughs> he said, after that, it was quiet for the rest of the flight. <laughs> because even grown men and women, when confronted, have a sense of the law of God. Because Romans 2 says the law of God is written on every heart and our conscience bears witness. And so we know, even if we're an unbeliever, we know that there's something wrong with taking the holy name of God down to that level. But we can get so callous to it, we can be around it so much that all of a sudden it just flows from our lips. And more, you know, we might think that this is less weighty, but even the idea of, oh my God, or sometimes we we try to switch that to, oh my gosh, And I know what we're trying to do, but still we're using God's name without much of a thought. It's almost like, you know, it's a response to a situation or a moment, but it's not invoking the name of God for the right reasons. 
And so in Psalm 8, verse 1, David said, O Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've displayed your splendor above the heavens. In Psalm 29, verse 2, David said, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. If you were to break down these first three commandments, they're about having the right God, worshiping him in the right way, and honoring his name. Jesus put it this way, the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him, the verse is right up there on the wall, in spirit and in truth. Now some versions capitalize the S and they might say that that's the Holy Spirit, but a bulk of the scholars say spirit there, lowercase s is your spirit. And what God wants is, he uh, back to your heart now, he wants you to worship him from the innermost part of your being and he wants to be worshiped in truth. No idols, no falseness about it. He wants it to be pure worship. And so the last book of the Old Testament we're studying on Wednesday night, God says, unless Israel repents, I'm going to smite the land with a curse. And he's going to send John the Baptist and then eventually Elijah in the last days. And there were people who were still feared God's name despite the culture. And God said these words, Malachi 4.2, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. And you will tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, Malachi 4.4, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I command, commanded him in Horeb or on Sinai for all Israel. In other words, God's saying, all you got to do is go back to the law and you'll know what my values are. You'll know what's really important. When Ezekiel got a, uh, he got to cut the hole in the wall and got to see all the abominations Israel was doing in the temple. God said, I'm going to judge the people. And the Lord said to these avengers or these potentially angels, go through the midst of the city, Ezekiel 9, 4, even through the midst of Jerusalem. And put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations which are being committed in its midst. Before judgment comes, God marks people who sigh and groan over their own culture. And that's what I find myself doing today. Is I find myself doing a lot of sighing and a lot of groaning. Because I look at what's happening today and how the culture has so shifted away from biblical values, uh, away from the king and his kingdom, and even within the church culture. And I find myself doing a lot of sighing and groaning. And there's a lot of vanity and a lot of the Lord's name taken in vain. Now, away from the negative to the positive. So what does this name mean? And how does it reveal God's identity? I want to show you just a couple of snapshots. You've been listening to The Third Commandment, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael's Ten Commandment teaching series in Exodus 20. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what? We would love it if you would join us this Sunday morning for church service at Living Truth Christian Fellowship here in Corona. Now, you can do that whether you live in Southern California or not. We live stream our 1030 a.m. service. But if you are in the area, we'd prefer if you come in and fellowship with us. 
you can get service and live stream information when you visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, that more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $10 a month. Or you can always give a one-time gift at walkintruth.com. And join us Monday for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20 about the third commandment. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where, as always, it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Join Pastor Michael and some of today's top apologists for the Dare to Defend conference. On March 10th and 11th, these speakers will provide real answers to skeptics' toughest questions and equip you with the tools necessary to confront the moral confusion of today's postmodern culture. This year's theme is Keeping the Faith in a Culture of Chaos. Come to Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California on March 10th and 11th to hear speakers Detective J. Warner Wallace. The idea that all we have in the universe is random accidents and the laws of physics or chemistry, then we're not going to get to, we're going to see the evidence differently because our presupposition really colors the way we see every piece of evidence in the room. Dr. Hugh Ross. When God created time, he was a causal agent that brought into effect time, which means at a minimum, he's got the equivalent to move and operate in two independent dimensions of time. Back at Cook. And they would say, are you moving? Did you did you meet someone? And, do you have, and I'm like, well, actually, I did meet someone named Jesus. I mean, they were really stunned. And especially when I got to the part about you know, the homosexuality being a sin, some of my friends really got hostile. Dr. Craig Hasten. Sure, this Jesus thing sounds good, but you know, I know nothing about Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or Mormonism. And how do I know for sure that I've really got the goods? Lenny Esposito. This one conversation shows how much we've confused the motivations for why we believe something with good reasons for believing it. There's only one good reason to believe anything, and that is if it's true. Monique Dusan. I think the idea that that's funny racism, like they let you into their home and like I was, I came home with PTSD from South Africa and all that. And I think I, I started to really think about like, well, what if it wasn't racist? And Joe Dallas. If you want to punch somebody out and you punch somebody out, you're not struggling with punching somebody out. You are, in fact, punching somebody out. Register for the Dare to Defend conference on walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Or visit walkintruth.com. 